want to offer you one quick correction on the announcements this morning. That's with regard to the luncheon afterwards. There'll be no luncheon after the service this morning. We will feed you if you come at 5 o'clock tonight, though. So I hate to bait and switch you, but I just did. How'd it feel? Did you like it? Come at 5. Come at 5 o'clock. I want to introduce this morning's sermon to you by drawing your attention to two dramatic trends that unless providentially reversed will lead to the extinction of Christianity in the Western world. Now that is a pretty strong statement. Two trends, very, very troubling trends. That unless God providentially intervenes to reverse these trends, Christianity as we know it will be led to extinction in the Western world. What are these trends that are out there? Well, the first one has to do with birth rates. Birth rates. Experts calculate that the birth rate necessary to sustain a culture is 2.11 children per family. 2.11 children per family. Below that number, there are not enough children coming into the world to replace an aging population and to prevent a culture from shrinking, declining. For example, if two sets of parents each have only one child and then those two children were to marry and have only one child in three generations, the number of children would be reduced by 75%. These trends can take hold really rapidly and cause large reductions in population. According to recent data that I was able to get a hold of, the birth rate in Europe... Canada and the U.S. among native-born is now below the number necessary to replace the aging population. Europe, Canada, and the United States are now, among native-born, have a birth rate less than that which is necessary to replace the aging population. The shortfalls in population in Europe, Canada, and the U.S., because all three are still growing in terms of total number, the shortfalls in population among the native-born are being offset by immigration and the exceedingly high relative birth rate among immigrants versus native-born. That's a phenomenon. Presently, European birth rates range, depending which country in Europe we're talking about, between 1.1 and 1.8 children per family. Remember, 2.11 is the, is the replacement level that just keeps it level. 1.1 to 1.8. Yet the population, I said, is not shrinking in Europe. It is growing, and it is growing primarily due to Islamic immigration. 
Islamic immigration. Recent estimates are that by the year 2025, one-third of all European children will be born to Islamic families. One-third by the year 2025. That's the first alarming trend. The second one, the second alarming trend, is that in the West, local churches are dying. Local churches are dying. 80% of American churches, according to those who monitor such things, 80% of American churches are in the downside of their life cycle. That is that they are, they are shrinking, they are contracting. 80%. Southern Baptists, the largest evangelical Protestant denomination, reports that 8,000 of their churches last year did not baptize a single convert. 8,000 churches, no baptisms of converts. In the United States, just to keep pace with population growth, 3,200 new churches need to be started each year. 3,200 new churches in the U.S. have to be started every year just to maintain pace with the population growth. Presently, 4,000 new churches are being started annually in the U.S. So that sounds good. You need 3,200 to keep up. 4,000 being started, that sounds like we're gaining, right? But at the same time, 3,700 churches close their doors every year. 3,700 close their doors every year. The ratio of churches to population in the U.S. in 1990 was 27 churches for every 10,000 people. Six years later, the ratio had dropped to 11 for every 10,000 people. I was looking for a more current number than that, couldn't put my hand on one quickly, but I'm sure that trends continuing as they have, it's less now. This country is severely underchurched. Underchurched. Average conversion ratios for churches in America stand at 85 to 1. It takes 85 members to make one new convert. So how are these two alarming trends, falling birth rates, offset by Islamic immigration in Europe, and the decline in Christian churches in the West, how are they tied together? How do these two trends intersect? They intersect as follows. The willingness to have children says something about our view of the future. Our willingness to have children says something about our view of the future. In the 20th century, Europe became increasingly secular and steeped in materialism. Living for the present and unwilling to sacrifice for the future. As this spirit of self-absorption increased, 
the public turned a deaf ear to the things of God, leading to the disappearance of churches and the erosion of the Judeo-Christian heritage that once underlay Western European culture. Remember, beloved, that it was in Western Europe that the Reformation broke out, that the gospel was recovered 500 years ago. It is now a burned-over wasteland. For example, declining birth rates and the rise in Islamic immigration in England has resulted in more than 1,000 mosques now dotting the landscape of that relatively small island nation. Many of these mosques now meeting in former Christian churches. A further consequence of the rapid rise of Islamic influence in Europe is that the ability to freely and openly preach the gospel is being steadily curtailed. You talk to people from that part of the world and they will speak to you about the opposition that comes to them. Not just from their neighbors, but from the government. Government opposition. Beloved, I believe that these alarming trends are also being played out here in the United States. That if we want to look at where we are going as a culture, we merely need to look across the pond. Unless God intervenes, that is our future. That's where we're going. I am firmly, firmly, firmly convinced that the window of opportunity for us to preach and practice the gospel in this country is rapidly closing. Rapidly closing. Time is short. Time is short. Therefore, there is a gospel urgency that we must all feel. How much time is left, God alone knows. Because these things are working out according to His divine timetable. He is not on the edge of heaven wringing His hands, wondering, what do I do now? But the events of history are coming to a point of conclusion. So this morning, I want to briefly remind you of seven reasons for gospel urgency. Seven reasons for gospel urgency so that we would align our priorities with God's. So that we would align our priorities with God's. Beloved, we do not want to be like the passengers on the Titanic. Rearranging the deck chairs. While we take on water. These are serious times. And this is a serious message. I'm going to have to review them or go through them rather rapidly with you. Each and every one of them could be fully developed. We're not going to do it here. Seven reasons. Seven reasons for gospel urgency. First reason, the enslavement of sin. We're going to move quickly here. Turn to John chapter 8, page 1070 if you're using a pew Bible. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. The first reason for gospel urgency is the enslavement of sin. 
John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's offspring, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If, therefore, the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. The world lies enslaved to its sin. It lies in the hand of the evil one. Only the gospel can set us free. Do we believe that? Only the gospel can set us free. As fallen children of Abraham, we are slaves to our sin. We cannot avoid it. Even when we want to refrain from sin, we are unable to do so. We are unable to keep our thoughts pure. We are unable to live a life pleasing to God. God's standards, by the way, according to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and in verse 48, are perfection. You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I've said this many times, but in this culture, there's one thing we're all ready to admit, and that is that nobody is perfect. We all fall short. We all live in this enslavement to sin. Without Christ, we are without hope in the world. Enslavement of sin. All the self-help books, all the psychotherapy, all the meditation, all the hard work, all the ritual, all the sacrifice that anyone wants to make is unable to rescue a soul enslaved to sin. cannot solve mankind's most fundamental problem that we are alienated from our Creator. Only Christ, only Jesus Christ frees us from sin. He frees us from the penalty of sin. He frees us from the power of sin in this life. And He frees us ultimately from the presence of sin when we are glorified and spend eternity with Him. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. Beloved, that message the world has to hear. It has to hear it. And we must use the opportunity that is provided to us today to put that message out there. It is never going to become any easier than it is this very day. Never. Enslavement of sin. Second reason. Second reason. The brevity of life. The gospel is urgent because life is brief. James chapter 4 and verse 14, page 1210. James chapter 4, verse 14. A very simple statement. James 4, verse 14, second half of the verse. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life is short. Life is fleeting. Life is like the steam above a cup of freshly poured coffee. There for a moment and gone. And that makes the gospel urgent. It makes the gospel urgent. 
For those of us who know and believe the liberating gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not know how long we have on this earth. We don't know how much time we have. We have family, we have friends, we have neighbors. They need to hear the truth. And you do not know how much time you have. That necessitates that we actively pray and plan for opportunity to open our mouths and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet for most of us, and I include myself in this, for most of us, we are too content to let the opportunity pass and say, manana, I'll do it tomorrow. But you have no promise of tomorrow. You have no promise. It is very, very easy to rest comfortably in our own redemption. To say, Christ has, re- has redeemed me from my sin. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. I've been saved from the power of sin. Someday I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Me and Jesus and this wonderful group of people, well, mostly this wonderful group of people, and together we're just going to enjoy what we've got. Our little taste of heaven here. This is not a taste of heaven. In fact, if you are redeemed by Jesus Christ this morning, this is as close as you'll get to hell. Think about that. I don't even know what that means, Jeremy. (laughs) We need to open our mouths. We need to open our mouths. Part of our strategy, part of our strategy as a body here is to provide opportunities for all of us to preach the gospel. We provide event-based evangelistic opportunities. Christmas, Easter, twice a year, a lot of planning, a lot of effort goes into this opportunity through music and preaching of the Word for you, for me, to invite our friends, our family, our neighbors to come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we have a basis to follow up with them on that. Talk to them about Christ. We're also regularly engaged with our community, aren't we? We go door to door. Why do we go door to door? Because we like rejection? We go door to door because we want to bring the gospel to this community. We'll invite them here, but they're not going to all come here. Some will come. For those that won't come, we go. Hi, my name is Andy Astadurian. I'm from Foothill Bible Church. We're in the community here just meeting people. Wanted to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a church you go to? You you have a Bible? Do you read it? You ever think about eternity? No, get out of here. Oh, okay. And off to the next door. Leif is working his fingers to the bones, planning this Upland campaign. 
a concentrated, week-long effort to take the gospel to a, a particular portion of our community, a very tightly focused portion of our community where we were going to blitz it with the gospel. And there's a place for all of us to serve, a place for all of us to get involved. Not everyone's going to be out there. There's plenty of other things to do, though, Leif, isn't there? It's good that you're sitting in the front row, brother. I don't think they heard you, though. There's plenty of places out there, Leif, isn't there? Again, one more time. All right. There's plenty of places. There's room for all of us. It's a team effort. We're a body. Remember that reading earlier? Some are eyes, some are hands, some are feet, some are mouths, some are eyes. Why don't you use a belly button? There's room for all of us. Do you know next year it's our hope to take that Upland campaign on the road? Do you know that? It's our hope to take the Upland campaign on the road in support of a church plant in Fontana. Huh? Won't that be cool? When we go to an area of our community that we're not normally out and about in, and in support of the launch of a church plant, we're out there. I'm Andy Astadorian. And I'm here to tell you about a new church. They'll have to answer the door. You do that. And knock it right off the hinges. We're practicing now. We're going to take it on the road next year. The gospel is urgent, beloved, because life is brief. We don't have much time. The gospel is also urgent because life is brief. And, and for those who do not know Jesus Christ, you don't know how much longer you're going to live. You walked in here this morning, maybe you're feeling good about things. You could be dead tomorrow. You don't even know it. Scripture says it's appointed unto man to die once. And then comes the judgment. There are no second chances beyond the grave. It's now. A couple of months ago, June 25th, 2009, the entertainment world was shocked. The king of pop suffered a cardiac arrest. Died in his home in Los Angeles. Michael Jackson, rich and famous. So rich, so famous, his funeral was broadcast around the, around the globe. 31 million U.S. households turned in their TV to watch this man's funeral. Hundreds of millions via the Internet watched. Listen to me. If a person as rich and as famous as Michael Jackson cannot avoid his appointment with death, what makes you think you can? What makes you think you can? Hear me here. The rich and the famous, they can't avoid it. What about you? Can you? 
appointed unto man to die once. And then comes the judgment. Are you ready? Are you ready? Gospel's urgent. It's urgent because of the enslavement of sin. It's urgent because of the brevity of life. It's, it's urgent because of the assurance of success. John chapter 6. Turn back to John's gospel. John chapter 6, page 1066. John chapter 6, verse 37. Assurance of success. All. In the Greek, that means all. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. God has sovereignly chosen to save a remnant of humanity from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That together, they will form a great throng of worshipers surrounding the throne of the Lamb and and singing praise and glory to His name. Wow. But, beloved, we don't know who He's chosen, do we? We do not know whom God has chosen to save. All we know is that He has chosen to save, and those whom He has chosen to save, He will irresistibly draw to Himself. All that the Father gives me, look at it, shall come to me. There is an assurance of success. Now, some people have sinfully and mistakenly misinterpreted this biblical truth to justify their failure to preach the gospel to all people. They say, well, if God's going to save who God's going to save, then, then we don't need to worry about it. These things should not be. These things should not be. The mysteries of salvation belong to God, and He does not invite us into His secret counsel. But the means by which God saves He has made abundantly clear and it is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live. How? How? Talk to me. How? By faith. By faith. Beloved, the fact that God absolutely assures that He will save some in response to the preaching of the gospel should motivate us to even greater and wider proclamation of this life-saving truth. Brother Tom was up here earlier and he said he likes to be on a winning team. I like to win. Cowboys won, by the way, the other day. That was good. That was good. It's surprising, but it was good. (laughs) The gates of hell shall not prevail. Wow. The assurance of success. We just need to get out there and preach it. 
Fourth, the responsibility of stewardship. First Corinthians 4, page 1142. 1142. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants or under of Christ... As stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found what? Trustworthy or faithful. What is a steward? A steward is one who manages the household of another. They are a manager. They have been entrusted with someone else's property and they manage it to that person's benefit. That's what a steward does. Just like the Apostle Paul, we have been entrusted with another person's property. That property is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not own it. It is not ours. We have no right to tamper with it. And what we do with that gospel, how we manage it, speaks volumes about our stewardship. Listen to me. Listen to me now. If you haven't heard anything else, you listen to this. Stewardship is about investing in order to gain an increase. It is not about saving in order to avoid a loss. Let me say it to you again. Stewardship is about investing in order to gain an increase. It is not about saving in order to avoid a loss. Stewards invest. They do not save. Matthew chapter 25. Page 987, Matthew chapter 25. Let me just briefly remind you, 25 and verse 14. Matthew 25 and verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. He who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scatter no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, I have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you know that I reap where I did not sow. Gathered where I scattered no seed and you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone 
who has, more shall be given. He shall have an abundance, but the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Cast out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't have time to interpret the parable for you. But get the basic message. The basic message is stewardship is about what? Tell me. Speak to me. Investing. Stewardship is not about saving. Stewardship is about investing. Why? To get a return. It's not about saving in order to avoid loss. It's investing for a return. It's not saving to avoid loss. Tim Keller, senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. You guys used up all my time, by the way, so. I think I have something in the bank from last week, don't I? Yeah, I think so. Am I overdrawn? Anyway. Tim Keller, senior pastor, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, New York City. He writes in an online article entitled, Why Plant Churches Anyway? Why plant churches anyway? Listen to what he says. Quote, New churches best reach the unchurched. Dozens of studies confirm that the average new church gains most of its members, somewhere between 60 and 80% of them, from among people outside any worshiping community. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of new members from people moving from other congregations. How true that is. Therefore, new churches will be six to eight times better at drawing new people into the body of Christ. He goes on, as a congregation ages, powerful internal institutional pressure lead it to allocate most of its resources and energy toward the concerns of its members rather than toward those outside its walls. Older congregations, therefore, have a stability and a steadiness that many people thrive on and need. Many non-Christians will only be reached by churches with long roots in the community and the trappings of stability and respectability. So he's, he's not speaking ill of established churches. He pastors one himself. But he continues. But new churches of necessity are forced to focus far more of their energies on the needs of its non-members and become much more sensitive to the sensibilities of non-believers. There is also a cumulative effect. Listen to this. Listen to this and see if this is not true of your own life. In the first two years of our Christian walk, we have far more close face-to-face relationships with non-Christians than we do later. Let me read that again. In the first two years of our Christian walk, we have far more close face-to-face relationships with non-Christians than we do later. Thus, new Christians attract non-believers to services five to ten times more than long-time Christians do. He finishes his article by saying, New believers beget new believers. Why plant churches? Because it is God's ordained means of reaching the lost. Fifth, fifth reason for gospel urgency. The rise of intolerance. John chapter 15, the rise of intolerance, page 1079. 
John chapter 15, verse 18, page 1079. The rise of intolerance. The fifth reason for gospel urgency. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, speaking to his disciples here, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The world hates Christ. The world hates Christ. But they can't reach him. But they can reach you and I. They can get to you and I. Beloved, as I said earlier, I believe that the window of opportunity to preach and practice the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as you and I have known it is rapidly closing. Rapidly closing. A message of salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ is radically intolerant in a world that values tolerance above all else. It's considered intolerant. It's considered hateful. It's considered by some to be even a threat to national unity. But this shouldn't surprise us. It should not surprise us. For the Christian church has always been a persecuted minority. History tells us Christians have been persecuted for even owning and reading a Bible privately let alone preaching publicly for the purpose of converting of their neighbors. We are so historically ignorant in this country. So historically ignorant. The good days are gone and they're not coming back. And they're not coming back through the ballot box. So get that mindset out of here. Get rid of it. It's gone. This culture is lost. But God has not given up. God has not given up. And let's utilize the time we've got left to preach the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Forget about recovering America's glory days. Romans chapter 1 is playing out. God has given this nation over. And we are seeing it before our own eyes. Beloved, we must not just expect persecution. We need to prepare for it. We need to prepare for it. And the way we prepare for it is by training men and women to be self-feeders. To be able to open the Scriptures and apply it to their own lives. God forbid the day. God forbid the day when they round up the elders of this church and take us off to jail. What would happen to this place? What would happen here if that were to come to pass? Oh, it couldn't happen here. This is America. It's happened everywhere else in the world. For the last 2,000 years, that's been the history of the church. Why do you think we're immune? We're not. 
Beloved, train the next generation is high on my priority list. Very high on my priority list. The next generation is the future of the church. It doesn't lie with me. It lies with them. That's why Carol and I are investing so much of our time in the college and career ministry. You, you CNCers, you are the future. We're getting ready to hand the baton to you. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be willing to live counterculturally? Are you going to avoid the pitfalls and mistakes of your parents' generation who have been so obsessed with gathering material possessions they have little time for the gospel? Or are you willing to live different? You're the future of the church. You are the future of the church. Sixth. The eminency of Christ. The eminency of Christ. The any time return of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2. Page 1090. Page 1090. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved. Verse 43, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Those were the heady days of the church, huh? This was the birth. This was the birth. This passage is often quoted and frequently misunderstood. This passage teaches a very powerful lesson on the connection between belief in the eminent return of Jesus Christ and a believer's relationship to material possessions. Why were they doing what they were doing? Is this the early church practicing communal living, communism? Is that what the New Testament's teaching us? Oh, no. Not at all. Feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place. They're selling their possessions there with one mind in the temple, meeting together. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they expect Christ to return. They expect Him to return. The signs of the kingdom, the signs and wonders that are being done, these are kingdom signs. These are the miracles of the millennium. And they're saying, wow, it is here among us. It's, he's gone, but He's coming again. And in fact, we think He's coming so soon, we'll sell it all and give it away. It doesn't matter anyway. In the millennium, the land's going to be redivided according to the tribes. That's an easy deal, by the way, to give away, sell something that you know you're getting right back. So it's sold it, give it away, stay in the temple. Why in the temple? Because he's coming through the eastern gate. He's coming to his temple. These people are focused. They're focused on the return of Jesus Christ. And and it has transformed their behavior. 
Do you believe Christ can return at any time? Say it to me again. Do you believe Christ can return at any time? Try it again. Can Christ return at any time? All right, amen. If that's true, that's going to affect how we live with regard to material possessions. Listen, if we say we believe Christ can return at any time, but the way we treat the prosperity that he's entrusted to us is not dramatically different from our neighbors, then our lifestyle betrays our profession. It's that simple. Our lifestyle betrays our possession, our profession. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and in verse 21, That where a man's treasure is reveals the affections of his heart. What does your checkbook reveal about the affections of your heart? Whose kingdom are you investing in? Whose? Do you give from your first fruits or do you give from your leftovers? What's the first check written? What's the last check written? Where are our priorities? Where are they? Do we plan to give? Or do we give according to a plan? Let me ask you again. Do you plan to give? Or are you giving according to a plan? Is your theology, is my theology impacting my wallet? I heard an old preacher say one time that people need two conversions. First, the conversion of their soul. A second, conversion of their wallet it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because we know that if our wallet's not converted then our souls talk to me come on say it it's what it's not converted either i didn't say that jesus did i didn't say that jesus did where your treasure is what did he say there your heart will be also Oh, that's so uncomfortable. That is so uncomfortable. Seventh. Seven reason for gospel urgency is the worthiness of God. The worthiness of God. Third John. Verses seven and eight. They went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men that they may be fellow workers with the truth. They went out for the sake of the name. They went out for the sake of the name. Now, God doesn't call everyone to leave their occupation and give themselves to full-time gospel ministry. He does not place that call on everyone. But he does put it on some. He does put it on some. 
by the grace of God, beloved, over the last 16 years, did a little quick math, over the last 16 years, by the grace of God, nine families and individuals are presently in full-time gospel ministry from this little body. Nine families and individuals. Dan and Lillian Hubiar, Art and Kim Nakamura, Matt and Carol Bugby, Steve and Karen Hydanis, Vincent and Gabrielle Nakotra, Jim and Janet Wine, Chris and Roxana Harris, Leif Jensen, and oh, by the way, David and Carol Forsyth. Nine families. Nine families who come from diverse backgrounds. From business to biology, from aerospace to architecture. Yet we have all known the irresistible call of God upon our lives. There has been no choice, no option. He has compelled it of us. And every single one would say they would have it no other way. They would have it no other way. There is no looking back. Nine families and individuals. Kind of like a baseball team, isn't it? Like a baseball team. And you know what? Like a baseball team, we have another family on deck. Did you get that, brother? I could hit that thing a mile. I was always better in my mind than I was in reality. (laughs) We have a family on deck here among us, don't we? Jeremy and Allie Bryan. They're on deck. The bat is swinging. They're ready. They're ready. By the grace of God, after tonight, coming to the plate. I'm going to whack it out of the park. We got more in the farm system, too. We got more in the farm. I mean, the Lord is at work here, beloved. There is a farm system going on. We got Promise Vaughn. We got Simon and Jessica Pernice. We got Chris and Jennifer Yan, just to name a few. Playing triple A ball. They're ready. Bring me up to the big leagues. Give me a chance. They're ready. This amazing work of the Spirit of God here, I think, is best illustrated by looking at some recent missions data from an organization called ABWE, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. ABWE, in their recent news quarterly, they report that of the 5,000 churches, 5,000 churches that support ABWE missionaries on a monthly basis, only 9% of them have sent out missionaries from their own congregations. Only 9% have ever sent anyone out from their own congregation. Beloved, by the grace of God, we've sent nine in 16 years. And there are more going. They're, they're lining up. I've got a whole stable of young men talking to me about going to seminary. Half of them sit in the front row praying for me to drop dead so they can have my job. <laughs> I know who you are, too, by the way. Yeah. Well, God is doing something here in this place. By the grace of God, this place is like a hothouse. Plants are growing. Stuff's happening. 
we're diligently pursuing Christ and courageously what? Proclaiming Him. I believe He's going to do even greater things in the days to come. I don't think we've seen the best yet. It takes sacrifice. It takes diligence. It takes a sense of urgency. Beloved, the question to ask, the question to ask is not, is it worth it? Don't ask yourself, is it worth the sacrifice? Ask yourself this question. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of everything I've got? Here's how heaven answers that question, by the way. And I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the work of redemption in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, for saving our soul. Setting us on a path of righteousness. Thank you for putting within our heart and our mouths a message of redemption that needs to be proclaimed far and wide. Thank you, our Father, for putting it on the hearts of those who are willing to go out for the sake of the name. Enduring hardship in adversity, setback, and suffering. And Lord God, if history is any predictor of the future, some will seal their testimony with their own blood. O Lord, grant us courage. O Lord, grant us strength. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Amen.